This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Hello, everybody. We're back once again following Everton's first home match of the season, a 1-0 victory against bitter rivals Watford. We are very pleased to be joined by Adam Jones of the Liverpool Echo. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Alex, uh, let's just jump right into it. Um, first home match of the season, quite the fanfare and display on at Goodison. Uh, we, from, our, from our couches, we were able to see the flags, the pyrotechnics, and uh, could hear some of the residual noise, but um, I think probably Adam's the best person to give us the first-hand account of what it was like once uh, when Z-Cars came on. Well, I mean, we all talked about how good the atmosphere was towards the end of last season, you know, you know, with the new siren on top of Z-Cars and, you know, all the work that went on in the Gladys Street, etc. But uh, I think there was a little bit of a concern that maybe, you know, if we were playing somebody who wasn't one of those, you know, top six teams, you know, like your Manchester United's or your Liverpool's or whatever, uh, that the atmosphere might dip a bit. But I think today proved that that's just absolutely not the case at all. Uh, the originals made sure that there were flags on every single seat inside Goodison Park. And to be honest, personally, I really liked it. I think it, you know, it gave an, a new, a different sort of flavour for the opening game of the season. Uh, obviously, the siren in in front of Zed Cars, we know is absolutely fantastic. And the wall of noise that met the players when they walked onto the pitch there was absolutely amazing. And, you know, if we can produce that for a game against, you know, Watford at home, then who's to say that this can't happen throughout the entire, you know, 2019-20 campaign? Because, you know, it, it definitely does seem to get the players up for the game, which is ultimately what we all want to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, well... I may say uh, from the couch, it looked fantastic. Unfortunately, on my stream, I actually missed the sirens because, yeah, I don't know. Mine, like NBC just didn't want to show it. Unfortunately, that's the one drawback is they usually won't cut it on until like right before the match begins, right before the whistle blows Mm. and you get to see uh, Lee Mason's bald head. But uh, (laughs) nonetheless, it looked, it looked, it looked amazing. I saw plenty of pictures of the, uh, the flags, across the grounds, um, you know, prior to the start of the match. Mm. However, something interesting was I saw the originals tweet and, and well, they said, uh, they said that it was an absolutely pathetic club. I guess there was a huge issue with, with them standing or trying to stand or people trying to stand during the match. And I heard, Mm. actually, I heard on TV, you know, uh, her come over the intercom and say, please don't stand. You'll be Mm. in the way and that sort of thing. Um, Mm. Do you know what happened with that, Adam? Uh, no, uh, the press box is up in the main stand, so we're we sat quite far away from you know, where all the originals are sat in the lower Gladys. So I wasn't really made aware of this until like just before we started recording. Uh, and I'm sure you know there's going to be a lot of safety reasons that Everton have uh, behind this, but you know, it, ever, like all football fans, I think, really do like to stand during a match and. You know, fingers crossed we're moving towards a, a, a time now where the safe standard laws are going to change. Uh, safe standard will hopefully be in place by the time Bramley Moors open. So hopefully we're moving towards a time where issues like this won't really be as commonplace anymore. 
It's a really interesting thing, the safe standing. And, and you would have to think like, as of now, the public opinion is that there's been enough examples of it working well and being successful that the government eventually will have no choice but to kind of move in that direction. It's just a question of, of course, government bureaucracy and all of those things. So mm-hmm. um, I'm all for it. Of course, I think it, I agree that it definitely helps with the atmosphere. Um, but when the stadium's not equipped for it, it does, you know, hinder the experience of if you're sitting, someone's sitting right behind you and you're standing up. I mm-hmm. mean, that goes without saying that's, you can't see anything. So um, hopefully they can just kind of reach a compromise and figure out something that works for everyone. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, um, we had a, a interesting lineup that came out because Andre Gomez, who was reported to be a doubt, ended up starting. We got uh, JPG Bamen on his full debut and, uh, up front was pretty much expected. So those were the only two major changes. And um, I thought it worked pretty well for the most part. We definitely saw um, Andre Gomez had a, had a really nice game. And from the get-go, I thought that our press was just suffocating for Watford. Um, and not only that, but just our overall aggression as soon as we would lose the ball and just hounding Watford, not giving them any outlets. And um, I thought they looked fairly toothless for, for probably the first 30 minutes or so. Mm. Yeah, I think it was it was a bit of a surprise for me to see Andre Gomez in the lineup. You know, especially with Marco Silva saying that he was going to be a doubt. But I think during that first half, especially, we saw exactly you know what Gomez brings to the team and what we would have missed if he wasn't in the team. You know, his ability to just be able to pick the ball up from anywhere in that midfield and be able to spray any sort of pass to wherever he wants on the pitch is absolutely vital for when Everton are really moving through the gears and really start to look really good as an attacking force. And we saw that a lot during the first 20-30 minutes of the match. And then in terms of Gabamon, I thought he looked much, much more comfortable, unsurprisingly. You know, he he can't have been ready for when he was called upon in that Crystal Palace game. You know, he's hardly had a pre-season uh, He's only just got to the club. He's not really struck up a relationship with a lot of the squad yet. So it's no surprise to me that after a week a week longer, not just getting fit, but getting to know his teammates, that he's looked so much better. And I think throughout the match, he started to show signs that he's going to be a really, really good player in the future. You know, he was really strong in the tackle. Thought Some of his passing was a bit wayward, especially at times in the first half. But I think in general, his passing... Seemed quite good to me. He's got a really good eye for an interception. So I think there's exciting times for the future. It absolutely is. I thought Gomez had a fantastic game. And as you said for Bamin, he he had a lot of good ideas. Specifically, I think he tried to switch the ball two or three times in which it was just slightly too heavy. I remember there was one pass specifically where he was trying to put Sigurdsson on through goal, but he kind of lifted it and it was far too powerful and, and slightly high. So Sigurdsson couldn't couldn't capture it. But overall, I thought he had a pretty good match as well. The only thing that I'm going to keep paying attention to, and I said this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when when we first signed him, I just want to see that his passing improves a whole lot. I understand that he was in a poor minds team and, and they weren't exactly looking for, you know, for possession and, and, and solid buildup. It was just kind of quick one twos and that sort of thing. But, you know, today specifically, he held like a 65% pass completion percentage, which which is actually on par with the team as a whole. Only 44% possession at home against Watford was actually a big letdown for me. And I know stats don't always tell the same story. I mean, the whole story, excuse me. But I think that that was a bit unfortunate. However, 
this is the type of match that we've seen Everton crumble time and time and time again over the last couple of years. And all the good teams grind out wins, whether they play well or not. And we did. Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about JPG when you're talking about the context of him, what he was brought in as, as the replacement for Drissagana Gay. Um, I think he showed today that while he may be a direct replacement, there's a lot more going forward to his game. And, and that through ball that you mentioned, Alex, to uh, to Sigurdsson is a good example. That's the type of pass where you would, wouldn't really see a Drissagay looking for. Um, and so I think he does have give us a bit more going forward. And I think that's probably what contributed in large contributed in large part to the lower passing percentage. I thought we had a lot of good ideas. Luca Dean back to his, his very uh, looks like he hasn't skipped a beat since last season, doing things very well out on the wing, holding things down um, and spraying balls in. And he had, you know, looked ambitious and, and looking for a couple shots as well. So um, I thought, you know, that, that partnership between him and Bernard, and we haven't touched on Bernard yet, but, but what a game for him. Um, on that counterattack, Adam, I, I read your immediate post-match comments and you talked about how last season that probably wouldn't be something when he would receive the ball in space like that. He might not be as aggressive to look to go forward. And, and that just shows, I think, how much he settled in the team. And, you know, there was some criticism coming towards him after the first game against Palace. But today, I think he he really is regaining. And it's only the second game, so so much is still left to develop. But we we saw a glimpse of last season Bernard uh, second half of last season and if he can maintain that through a whole campaign um, and couple it with a nice uh, finish here or there I think we're, we've got a really special player in his second season mm. with Everton. Well, it's a massively promising sign, isn't it? And you know, spoke in that piece. It's I think it was just all about confidence with him. Uh, you know, he came into Everton last season, haven't missed much of the previous term through injury he didn't have a pre-season behind him so didn't really get really get going uh kick into top gear until maybe about february march and you know that's when we saw everton as a whole really kick on so i think you know he gained a lot of confidence from that period uh but you know the thing that was still missing was you know we would see him get that ball on the left flank and he'd have a chance to shoot and you know, he'd turn back onto his left and maybe cross it in or, you know, try and play a simple pass otherwise. So it was really interesting for me to see, you know, Dean played an amazing pass over to the left flank this time. And instead of looking for what looked like uh, being a simple pass into the middle to Sigurdsson, who had a lot of space in the box and was absolutely shouting for it. Instead, he just turned his man and finds the near post, you know, Ben Foster will be a bit disappointed that he's let that go in, I think. But, you know, it, it just shows that kind of confidence that we all want to see from Bernard. And I wonder how much of that is based on, you know, the type of business that Everton have done throughout the last transfer window. You know, uh, I'd say the biggest success story out of the last transfer window was Everton's attacking options. You know, they are now really deep and there's so much quality in that front three now, I wonder whether Bernard is maybe thinking, Do you know what, if I don't start performing, if I don't start getting these goals and assists, then, the, you know, Alex Awobi sat there on the bench. I might be off the team soon. He absolutely was. And and I want to go back and just point out, because Luca Dean's 50-yard assist, essentially, was was absolutely amazing. He was he was offset in balance. And, and it was just kind of a clearance. Obviously, he picked out Bernard, but it, it just felt almost inch perfect. And it was a beautiful scenario. 
And what I really liked about it was the fact that you could tell Bernard had his mind made up before he got there, right? He already knew when he got the ball that he was going to drive into the box and shoot. Um, so that I think, I think is the, is the key determination in terms of, of understanding that it was absolutely his confidence is just, is just beaming. And I think, I hope that the rest of the squad follows suit specifically Richarlison. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And we, we can talk about Richarlison because he had a couple really, really nice chances in the air off of set pieces. Um, both of which he probably should have done a lot better with. And you could tell after the second one, he was quite frustrated. But what I did like to see was, although he did kind of do like the ground punch after he missed the second goal, he got right back up um, and was right back in the game. So it seems like, you know, maybe he's, he's maturing a little bit, um, not playing with so much emotion, which I think we saw spurts of last season where he may have let his emotions get the best of him. So hopefully, you know, not his best performance by any stretch, but we did see some glimpses of, we know what he brings to the side and, and we saw glimmers of that. Luckily, Bernard kind of uh, took the mantle, took the took the pressure onto himself, and was able to deliver the goal. And it was nice to get the goal out of the first goal out of the way so early because it kind of let us be a little bit more comfortable, get the crowd back or in the game even more than mm-hmm. they already were. And I thought that we had um, some some really nice chances. Um, Calvert Lewin probably not his best game either, but I thought both him and Sigurdsson their their work in the press was remarkable. And uh, a nuisance all game long for Watford. And then we haven't even talked about the back line either. Mm-hmm. Another clean sheet. Um, I think that's what six or seven in a row at home now going into bet last season. Um, it looks like a really strong unit. And even with Kurt Zuma gone and Mina stepping in, we haven't really skipped a beat. Um, I think everyone's kind of been impressed with Mina, how he started the season. There were a lot of question marks about how he would do. Um, having to kind of have all the pressure on his shoulders as the the first clear first choice uh, in that position. And he's handled it very well, and he's looked a composed and solid player. There was the questionable penalty shout, which was probably a bit of a rash challenge, um, but he got away with it. And he's a very imposing figure. There was uh, some altercations where no (laughs) one's going to want to mess with Yerry Mina. He is is, uh, pretty intimidating and constant threat on set pieces and and yeah the back unit as a whole just looks looks mm. very very and i think it has for a long long while now like it's it's so it's so weird to me to to be able to look at the stats behind everton's defensive resurgence you know it, everton haven't conceded a goal at goodison park in six months the last player to score at goodison park for the opposition was gabriel jesus right at the start of february which you know when you put it like when you put it like that it's it's an absolutely incredible turnaround because I remember after that City game, there was still all that discussion about zonal marking and how Silva was getting it wrong on the training pitch. And he's completely managed to turn that round. And I think that's all credit to not just the players, but to Silva and his coaching staff as well. He's obviously drilled into them throughout throughout training ever since that point, his, his ideal philosophy. And, you know, it, it, there would have, there was a couple of nervy moments in this game against Watford, but it's it's absolutely paying off. And in terms of Yerry Mina, I think he is starting to look so, so much more confident because he's had a run of games behind him now. You know, he really didn't get that chance last season, which is a real shame. But Marco Silva always had that faith that he would be able to stand up and deliver whenever it needed him. And he did have these run of games, and I think he's only proven that now. Uh, I think Michael Keane is a perfect 
central defensive partner for him. And I think Michael Keane has really impressed me over the last few weeks, you know, like end of pre-season into now the Premier League season starting. And he's shown me a lot of real leadership qualities in that back four. I think he could be a really good future captain for Everton if he carries on because he just looks so comfortable in defence now, not just not just in terms of tackling and interceptions and whatever else, but he looks really good on the ball. He looks like the perfect kind of Marco Silva centre back. And I think, you know, when you look at how he was playing in that first season when he came to Everton, comparing him to now, it's it's like it's two completely different players. It's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting to think about both center backs in the first the first season they had at the club compared to where they are right now. Yuri Mina was not anywhere near as as quote unquote terrible as Michael Keane was in his first season, although it didn't come out until much later that Michael Keane had a terrible injury to his foot and like got it really bad infected, but he kept playing because we had injuries and that sort of thing. But it's it's fantastic to see where they both are and how they're both performing. Uh, another clean sheet is always fantastic. And as we say in America, defense wins championships. So you have to build from the back. That's where it starts. Uh, obviously, we're still kind of searching to build momentum going forward, scoring more goals. Marco Silva said specifically for Alex Iwobi when he comes in, he's going to have to do better at Everton in terms of scoring goals than he did mm-hmm. at Arsenal. And we know that Bernard is going to have to continue adding to his tally, which fantastic start. Uh, this or today specifically. So hopefully Moyes Keane can chip in with a couple as well. My only concern uh, on the defense would be that Luca Dean came out. I think it was probably precautionary, but we know that Leighton Baines is not fit. He's injured. Uh, so that would be both le- left back scratch. And, and I hope that I hope that he'll be okay mm. next week. Yeah, and you could see uh, when Dean came off. I believe there were reports of him walking around after the match with no limp. Um, not sure uh, how much how true that is, but hopefully, yeah, it was precautionary, similar to the Gomez injury last week. Um, and yeah, because this, we are with, with both left backs out, you could see what happens to our back line. We had to put Mason Holgate in at right back and kind of just piecemeal a back line together to finish out the match. Um, so hopefully that that. Uh, that doesn't. That isn't an ongoing storyline. That that fitness kind of messes with the solid unit that we've put together um, throughout the course of last season and now starting off so well this season. Um, and I did want to just give a quick shout out to Jordan Pickford because he didn't have too much to do last week against Palace, but today I think he maybe had a had some difficulty with the conditions, um, judging a couple balls when to come off his line. But he did have two saves. Um, one was obviously right off his face. Um, but he was perfectly positioned to in that moment to make the save, and we know what a quality keeper he is. But just because we've we've given all the plaudits to uh, to the the men in front of him, but I do think he gives deserves a quick shout out um, on top of that. And then moving on to um, the other substitutions that were made, we we saw Richarlison come off probably deservedly for Theo Walcott, and then. Um, we got a nice little glimpse of what Moyes Keane is capable of. So, uh, Adam, what, what did you make of those two? Uh, I thought Walcott really operated well as a substitute. He showed some moments. Mm. Um, we know what his game is like. I thought he played really well. He had that nice a, – a couple of times looking to just use mm. his raw pace to beat players, which we know is a key element of his game. Um, and then, obviously, Moyes Keane had a really – I think all Everton fans have a lot uh, to be excited about I think in terms of Walcott, player. it was a bit of a <sighs> – 
he was in a bit of a lose-lose situation when he came off the bench because, you know, Watford at that point had really got themselves onto the front foot. So, you know, Walcott was forced to maybe, you know, just be trying to use his pace to get in behind the defence to try and create some chances. And to be fair, he did get down that right flank uh, quite a few times, but, you know, a couple of his crosses were overhit. And I feel like that's the constant mm. issue that we have with Walcott. You know, he does try, quite often get to himself in some really good positions, but that end product is far too inconsistent for me. So it it would be nice if he could, you know, pick out some players with those kind of crosses or maybe, you know, find the back of the net with a few of his shots. Uh, but in terms of Moyes Keane, I think it was it was re- a really, really exciting cameo for him. Uh, if you're Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, well, it's my hard work, you know, my work and other defenders that's meant that he's able to come on and have such a good... A little cameo display against you know what were two tired centre backs uh, by the end of the game, but you know it, it's still down to Keane to put in the kind of performance that he did. He was getting himself into dangerous positions whenever uh, Everton's midfield were picking up the ball. Uh, I think he looked really, really strong against you know two you know quite imposing Premier League centre backs in Dawson and Cathcart. You know it's not going to be easy for a nineteen-year-old to come up against you know two such experienced centre-backs but I think he did really really well uh, he had two attempts on goal obviously uh, the one where he beat his man quite well and then had a bit of a wild attempt from outside the box uh, you could see he was a bit disappointed with that one and then the one, the one just after that where he turned his man and then dragged it wide but I've not seen a replay of this but it looked like he was about five yards offside but it wasn't given as offside so Presumably that would have stood if he'd have, uh, if he'd have found the corner with it. And to be honest, I think maybe he'll be even more disappointed with that one because he had fashioned himself a really good opportunity there. And maybe nerves or excitement or something just got the better of him. But, you know, it was really good for, you know, you could tell the fans inside the stadium as soon as he came on, there was a real air of excitement. Uh, Everton fans just really wanted to see him do as well as he could. And, you know, that's, that's what he did at the end of the day. Uh, I think there's still the belief with Marco that he's not quite fit and ready enough to be starting games as of yet. You know, maybe that'll change by the time Aston Villa rolls around. But, you know, if you're Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you'll be looking at cameo performances like that. And, you know, you've got to be thinking to yourself, I really need to start finding the back of the net here because otherwise this kid's going to come in and he's going to take my place in the team. And I think... You know, if Keane puts keeps putting in those sort of cameo displays, keeps putting in those performances, you know, for maybe a half or more, then he will he will take Dominic Calvert Lewin out of the team and rightly so. I thought it was really important that Keane came on in general. James and I talked about it a couple of days ago prior to the match, but I think it's important for him to get the the reception from from all the fans at Goodison Park uh this early on in the season to understand that everyone is is so excited about him being here. Obviously, uh, he probably can see that via social media pretty well, but I think it's just a, it's a whole different it's a whole different thing when when he actually gets cheered onto the pitch. I was I was really hoping Dominic Calvert-Lewin was going to have a, a very solid game today, and unfortunately, I thought he even struggled in the physicality department where He's usually very sound. I mean, he looked very strong, but the defenders kind of got the best of him quite a few times. I think that um, 
Moise Keane compared to Dominic Calvert-Lewin is just so tidy with the ball in his dribbling and his technical ability. You can tell that he has uh, much brighter ideas in terms of how he's going to get a shot off, which is important because that's everyone's biggest gripe with Calvert-Lewin, right? It's not even necessarily the fact that he doesn't score goals. It's the fact that he never shoots, it almost feels like. So I think it's I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin maybe has another week or two in that starting spot as Moise Keane still gets integrated into the side and, and how we play and gets his fitness levels up. But past that, if he's not scoring, I think he's going to be on the bench and it's going to be really unfortunate for him. I agree with you, Alex. And, and Adam, I think probably Dominic Calvert-Lewin, after coming off, watch what the work that Moise Keane did and probably feels a lot of pressure now to continue to uh, to hold his place in the side. It's not going to be an easy task. And, and though even at the announcement of Moise Keane coming in, you would have to think that Calvert-Lewin was maybe not taken aback because I think everyone knows that we wanted more more competition in that position. But really, the, the reality kind of has sunk in now that we've gotten a glimpse of what he's capable of. And there were two moments that I think kind of, uh, I guess, emphasized the difference between the two players. There was the moment when Calvert-Lewin received, I believe it was a cross, and tried to do a little... Uh, turn with the ball and lost it. It was a difficult move, difficult maneuver to be sure. Um, but it just didn't come off in any way, shape or form. And then the the second shot by Moise Keen that he did have a really nice little uh, move flick, heel flick to uh, beat his man and then fired one. And if he had the first shot, if he had rifled that one in, um, I don't know if that, that would have been quite the scene at, at Goodison Park because I think the crowd would have absolutely lost it. Um, and he just looks so dangerous, even when he, you know, coming out on the wing, on the counterattack, in those areas where you never really feel confident that Calvert-Lewin has the individual creativity to manufacture something out of nothing. Um, I think we, just on the very limited sample size we have of Moise Keane in an Everton shirt, I think that that is something that he's not afraid to take on one or two players uh, and create something for himself. And, and it's going to be a dangerous proposition when we have him fully integrated into that front line because I think all of those players across the front three can can beat a man and, and pose a real threat to the opposition and it's going to create some uh, headaches for for opposition mm-hmm. managers to figure out how to how to break that down. So, of course, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't utilize the uh, connection of having a person who was actually at Goodison Park today and covering the team in an in official capacity. Um, Adam was, I guess, fortunate. We, we say fortunate enough because we're extremely jealous, but I guess it's just the perks of the job, able to uh, interview Seamus Coleman after the match. And we talked a little bit about it with him off air, but being a lifelong Evertonian and, and having the kind of access now through the echo that he does um it, it just must be you're i guess you're probably used to it now after doing it for a year but do you still have moments where it's just like staggering or you're taken aback you're just you're sitting in front of marco silva or a player and yeah, you, you can't believe it's, it's hard really because I, I don't want to say that you get used to it because it, it, it still is an amazing experience and you know i do i do really love what i do and i think yeah, you do. You do still get those kind of times where you're a bit taken aback. I think 
I, I got one only a couple of weeks ago, you know, being able to travel to Germany and cover Everton's preseason game against Werder Bremen. You know, that was the first time that I've ever travelled abroad to even watch Everton, let alone be able to cover the game and interview the manager afterwards. So, you know, you know moments like that, you know, I don't, I don't like to say that I get used to them because, you know, it still is, it still is a really exciting experience and I really, I really do love the job that I do. But it, at the same time, like, it's, it's really weird transitioning from being, you know, a lifelong Everton fan. Like I had the season ticket, like from when I was seven years old and transitioning now into this position where I've got to be so professional, even though, you know, I'm what, like, I'm walking down the tunnel at Goodison, you know, to get, to get back into the media room after interviewing Seamus Coleman. It's 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 a really, really bizarre sort of job when you put it like that. But yeah, it, it's something that I really, really love doing. Yeah, I mean I I can't imagine <laughs> I would not literally kill for that opportunity as well. But at the same time though, you did earn it, right? Like it's not it's not like uh, you just showed up one day. So hats off to you as well for for taking that. I know. So give us a little bit of a background as as to as to your experience um, becoming a, an Everton specific writer for the Echo, and uh, yeah, so and I went to I, like university in Liverpool, uh, Liverpool John Moores. Went there for three years. Uh, graduated in September, uh, no July, twenty fifteen, and by August or September, I was working for the Echo. I, I was working on their news desk at the time on a uh, freelance basis. Uh, I was meant to only be doing that for four weeks, but I ended up staying for about nine or ten months, which was, you know, quite promising for me. Uh, and then the company that owns the Echo, which is uh, Reach PLC, uh, used to be Trinity Minute at the time. Uh, they hired me on a full time basis to be a sports reporter that would essentially travel around the country to various sites around the country and uh, cover. Uh, whatever team that I was needed to cover. So I'd be doing stuff for, you know, like Nottingham Forest, uh, Derby County, Hull City, uh, they, uh, Man- Manchester's United and City. You know, they're just a, a few of, you know, the teams across the country that I was doing. Uh, and I was doing that for a, a good while, over a year, until in October 2017, the Echo uh, took me back and gave me a full-time position on their sports desk, uh, it, I think my first my first day was a couple of weeks before Ronald Koeman was sacked, so that was that was a really interesting time to be uh, to be joining. And uh, uh, then it took about six yeah. months. So in March 2018, uh, I was given the role of Everton reporter. So I did six months of reporting on Everton and Liverpool, which was. You know, quite interesting <laughs> being a lifelong Everton fan, but uh, yeah, I was absolutely delighted to be given that opportunity in March 2018, and uh, yeah, ever since I've been just uh, reporting on Everton, which has been you know an absolute dream job. If I'm honest, like I'd, I'd be lying if I said you know I wasn't leaving university thinking that oh, in a few years I'd love to be I'd love to be an Everton reporter. So yeah, it's an absolute dream for me to be where I am now. So, so let me ask you, was this something that you always knew that you wanted to do? I guess. So, so if you were, if I asked a, a 12 year old Adam Jones, would he have said, I want to work for, I want to, I want to cover Everton uh, as a journalist for a living or, or did you kind of have, was it something that maybe you didn't view as even a possibility? Mm. Yeah. Once I got um, into journalism, you, like, I, guess, I, I assume once I you got into journalism, that was my passion. So I wanted to, to 
be able to cover sport in whatever way possible. But in terms of wanting to become a journalist, I think I probably think it around the age of fifteen or sixteen was when I really knew that I wanted to be a journalist. Like I'd obviously throughout you know, throughout my time as a season ticket holder, you know, I'd been going to the games as much as I possibly could. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in like around sport, but I wasn't, you know, quite sure which kind of avenue that I wanted to go with it. And it was only when I was, you know, heading into the final years of, you know, college and sixth form in school and I was choosing, you know, what kind of subjects that I wanted to do. Uh, I, I'd always been leaning towards a career in maths before before I chose. Yeah, because I, I was always, as a kid, I was quite naturally good at maths. So I thought, oh, I'm good at it, then I might as well go into a career in it. But I realised, you know, quite quickly that I just didn't really care about maths. Uh, I, what I was actually quite passionate about is, is writing. So I ended up taking English and it kind of spiraled from there. And I I ended up developing a love for writing alongside my love of sport and it just seemed natural for me to try and pursue a career in journalism from that point on. I just have one last question, which I think is probably something that it's relevant to us as well, but you're obviously a bit younger. You're our age. You're what you're mid, you're mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. 25. Okay. So yeah, you're our age. Um, you're coming into a media landscape that's vastly different than someone like, like Dave Prentice or even maybe Phil Kirkbride when they first got into journalism and writing for the echo. Do you think you have a very different perspective on, on what journalism is than maybe the, the more elder statesmen uh, that you've worked with? I think, I, th- I don't think the kind of ideal behind journalism has changed at all. I think journalists are still there to be, you know, information givers to the, you know, the rest of the public in any way, shape or form that we possibly can. I just think that the methods of how that information is delivered, you know, I'm, I'm sat here on a podcast with you two like this is this is how journalism has you know evolved even over the last decade so i think i'm in a different position to them because by the time i was in university you know we would we would not just doing journalism in terms of writing you know we were taught how to do radio journalism we were taught how to do tv journalism as well so we were taught how to do online journalism of course so i've developed a kind of skill set which makes me a, a, a sort of multimedia journalist right from the off which is you know unfortunately you know the likes of Dave and Phil they didn't really get that opportunity so they've had to kind of learn it on the spot so I think that would be the only difference that I could necessarily see but as I say the ideals behind journalism even though that the method of transition has changed I don't think the idea behind what we do has changed all that much at all so it's still really good for me to be able to you know Dave and Phil are two fantastic people to work with two big Evertonians and you know I learned so much from them week by week so it, it it's a real honor for me to get to work with them to be honest and it was an absolute honor, honor for us to have you on the show as well thanks for uh allowing us to ask you so many questions and for taking time uh this busy evening for you to talk with us <laughs> No, it's an absolute pleasure. I've absolutely loved it. 
All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us. Again, a big thanks to Adam for joining us and thanks to you for listening. Catch us uh, early next week with our, uh, we'll have a midweek episode for you guys covering any developments, injury developments, news, all that good stuff. Um, But until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases in Everton News. And we'll see you guys next time.